good? Do you know that he's good? You know that he's kind? You know that he's so much more than all you've left behind? Doesn't always feel like it, does it? Doesn't always feel like he's good. Doesn't always feel like he's kind. It doesn't always feel like he's present. It doesn't always feel like everything you've heard and learned is true. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest with each other. We are strugglers, right? We are, we are fellow strugglers. And at our best, we are sinners who've been redeemed, who are struggling. At our best. At our best, we are falling down before the throne of God, begging for help, begging for mercy, begging for the grace that he has promised us that sometimes we just don't, we don't feel. I know that he is good. That's a statement that is sometimes easier to sing than to believe. We're looking at this new series, which is the second part of an old series. I think the Thessalonian people were struggling with that question. Might have been dealing with that issue. God, I know that you're good. I know that you're kind. But I'm struggling. I'm having a difficult time right now. Paul had planted this church only recently. If you were with us, you went through 1 Thessalonians with us, the first letter that he sent, which was not all that long after he had left, after he had planted the church. This was a bunch of new believers. What should have been expected of them? How could they stand on their own with all of the difficult things that were coming their way? I mean, they had turned away from idols, and they were living in a city that was subject to Rome and Rome was just full of idols and you were expected to worship them it was good for the economy and it was good for the emperor who was first among those being worshipped it was just a time where it was difficult because they heard the gospel of Christ and heard that Christ was good that Christ was kind that Christ would redeem them that there was life in Jesus that could be found nowhere else and they turned away from that, They turned away from family, if, if necessary, in order to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. And it was hard. So they began to, to deal with the pressures and the struggles of being a follower of Jesus when it didn't feel good. When it didn't feel kind. It didn't feel like all of these things were better than what maybe they had left behind. And maybe they had started to wonder, is this, is this true? And yet, there was something that clearly was going on in them. Where Paul was able to see what, what had happened and to see that they had received this. They had turned from idols. They were trusting in Jesus. They're just struggling. I think they're a lot like us. And they're just dealing with the stuff of life. And wondering what happens next, what's coming down the pipe. 
And so soon after Paul had to leave, and he didn't leave into, you know, on his own, he kind of got pushed out. He, he had to run, and yet he was concerned about this church. And so he wrote this letter that we went through last fall and into the spring, and, and, and we unpacked the struggles, but the provision that God had given them. So Paul sent Timothy to, to check on them because he was just concerned that they were going to fall and cave under the pressure. And when Timothy gets there, he finds that there's still this, this excitement over following Jesus. They are still living out their testimony, but they're, they're struggling over some issues, especially about, about the return of Jesus. And, and that Paul dealt with then, but then he deals with it again here, where, where they're, they're kind of thinking, did we miss something? Because we got this letter from somebody that said they were Paul, or there was some sort of a prophecy, and, and they said that the, the second coming of Jesus has already happened, that the day of the Lord has already come. Did we miss it? Are we going to have to deal with the wrath after all? I mean, we, we thought we were saved from the wrath of God, and now it sounds like we've missed something. We've gotten something wrong. Got to be honest with you, I felt that way sometimes. When things just get really tough, I'm like, did I miss something? Did I miss something here? Am I believing in vain? Am I saying all the right things? But because of the things that are happening in my life, is it, is it evidence that there's something that's not evident in my life, that's not present in my life? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but have you ever been there where you're just like, something's not right, something must be, must be wrong. And, and yes, that could be the case, but it also could just be the case that that's just a Christian life in a broken world. And it's not always going to feel good, it's not always going to feel right. And we're going to deal with those things. We're going to deal with struggles. Sometimes they're just everyday annoyances. Sometimes they're deep things. They are tough things. They are dark things in our lives. And we just can, man, it can just knock us off our feet, take our breath away. What now? What do we do now? And I think some of what we have experienced this morning as we minister to one another is really a lot of the a lot of the point, a lot of the provision that God has for us. And so Paul writes a second letter to answer some questions. And this came, I mean, this, this could be about the time frame from the time we left off First Thessalonians in the spring and went into the Psalms and then picking up. And between the time that we left off and picked up, that letter could have already been sent to them. So it's a very, very brief amount of time that Paul is dealing with the people. And so they're, they're still, this is, this is really the reinforcements part two. He's still giving them reinforcements. And, and I think the reason is, and the reason it's so important for us, is that we need reinforcements, don't we? We need reinforcements when, when we have questions. We need reinforcements when things aren't going right. We need reinforcements of our faith. What do we do? How do we deal with this? And Paul will give us a lot of help in this if we listen for the Lord through it. But I want to start with this letter with a portion that we really didn't cover in the first, the first letter, in 1 Thessalonians. We, we kind of skipped over it. I mentioned it, but we didn't really spend much time on it. But I think there's a lot that Paul is saying, a lot that Paul is communicating to the church to lay a foundation for where their strength is, to lay a foundation for what they have to hope for, and really to lay a foundation for the things that Paul says that they need to do and be as they're living 
in a Roman province that is not friendly towards them. And it's in the very opening. There's nothing all that uncommon in the way Paul opens the letter of 1 Thessalonians. Matter of fact, if you look through the letters of Paul, they all sound more or less the same. Almost all sound basically the same. And so in 2 Thessalonians, he starts off by saying, who, who's writing this? Who is there with him? And he simply says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are there. We knew that Paul and Silas were together. We know that he sent Timothy. So the three of them are, are supporting, they're, they're su- demonstrating their support of what, is, what God is doing and of their church, of their place in the church. But it's that next part <clears throat> where he says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want to do this morning is simply <clears throat> maybe pull a few things out that is in the theology of Paul in relation to the presence of God in the church and the provision of God for the church and that I believe will help us in those times where we're struggling, that I believe will help us when we're going through those, those moments or those seasons of deep struggle and what God has done for us and how we can make it not only surviving it but thriving through it. And so the first thing he says there is to the church. He's writing to the church. Right? The the Greek word for that is ekklesia. You've heard the word before. Most of the time, if you're in the exploring the gathering class, that word's probably going to come out because it's it's the basis for our name, the gathering. Because that's what it means. It's a gathering, a gathering of people. Very common word. It was used in all sorts of different contexts. So it wasn't like ecclesia in that moment in the, that Roman province of Thessalonica. If they had said ecclesia, they wouldn't necessarily say, oh, it's they're talking about the church. No, it's just, oh, what group are we talking about? What gathering of people are we talking about? But it's a very significant word for the church because we know that in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that was used, the word... For the chosen people of God in the Old Testament, in the Greek, was the word ekklesia. So it was the the called out people of God, God's chosen people. Israel was referred to as the ekklesia in the Old Testament. And yet throughout the entire New Testament, every time the word ekklesia is used, it is used to refer to the New Testament church. Jesus even said to Peter, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word there is ecclesia. So Jesus himself used that word, I will build my ecclesia, my gathering of called out ones. I will build my body, because the church is the body of Christ, on this rock. And so when Paul says to the ecclesia, He's talking about that gathering of called out ones, those who have been brought together. Now, if you're struggling to maybe get that idea, I'm going to give you a couple of passages. They're not, they won't be on the screen, but this, this is where Paul deals. Look with me in Romans chapter 4. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to give you maybe a, um, a little foundation. So Romans chapter, Romans chapter 4, verse... Verse 9, Romans chapter 4, verse 9. 
Now, Paul is making his argument to the Roman church. The Roman church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. So he's trying to explain his theology throughout Romans, and he's trying now to help people understand how this idea of ecclesia, or this idea of church, can be used of this New Testament gathering. So in verse 9 he says, Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? So this blessing of God, is it just for the Jews? It's a question that would have been asked. It would have been a question that many would have believed, that yes, it's just for the Jews, the chosen people of God. Many people of the day would have held on to that idea. But he says, or is it also for the uncircumcised, which would have been the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews? Is this, is this blessing of salvation for both? And he says, for we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Now, in what way, and they all would have agreed that, in what way then was it credited? Was it while he was circumcised or before he was circumcised? Was he circumcised as a, circumcised as a Jew and therefore then received the blessing? Or was it while he was uncircumcised, before that was ever established? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by what? Faith, that he had by faith, right? That's the heart of, of Paul's theology. Uh, it was a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, so of the Jews, who were not only circumcised but, this is important, it wasn't their circumcision as a Jew that gave them the right to be children of God, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Paul is now dealing with the issue that there are a lot of Jews who have, who have rejected Christ. There are a lot of Jews who have not become Christians. And so is Paul then saying that that they, you know, that, that, that it failed because there are so many Jews that, that have not followed? He's saying, look, it's not as though the word of God had failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac, who was of the promise. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. So Paul's whole argument is the chosen people, the true chosen people of God, are all who trust in Jesus, Gentile and Jews. So that's the chosen people, and it goes all the way back to the time that the Abrahamic covenant was made. It was never to be just for the Jews, but it was the Jews who were going to be the vehicle through which the blessing of the Messiah would come to all, Jew and Gentile. So that's why Paul can say, when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the ecclesia, the people of God who are made up of Jews who believe in Jesus and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. Right? So that's when, he, when he's talking about the ecclesia, that's the foundation for that. That that's who we are and that we are a part of the ecclesia, not because we sign a card that says that we have joined a church but because we have believed in the Messiah, we have trusted him, we have been made new, and we are then 
brought in to be the ecclesia, the, cha- the people of God. So, when we're talking about this, and when we're talking about the implications of Paul addressing the ecclesia, the branch of the church that is in Thessalonica, and he's dealing according to their situation and their circumstances. And we've read in 1 Thessalonians where he's talking about how they, they care for one another, they meet each other's needs, they love each other. And he's building on that. Then we have to look at the ecclesia in terms of what does that mean for us? When we're dealing with the struggles that we're dealing with, when we're dealing with the times that it feels like God is not being good to us, or God is not present, how does the ecclesia demonstrate the love of God among God's people? And there are, there are many ways that I think we could probably go down that path and, and talk about ways in which God has provided. But I know one of the ways that the ecclesia is evident, the way that we see God working through his ecclesia, through his church, is by the way that we support one another. By the way that we are there. By us, even together, gathering together and laying hands and praying on one another. That is, being, I mean, that is the kindness of God in action. And I want you to see that because when you're outside in the world and you're having your struggles, you're having your difficulties, and you're saying, God, where are you? I want you to be able to come in here and to go, yes, God, you are providing for me. You care for me. I have people that are surrounding me and being the hands and the feet of Jesus. It's just one example of Jesus being good to you so that when you go out of these walls, you know that there are people who still love you, people who are praying for you, people who care for you. Because I guarantee you, the people who asked for prayer this morning and had people gathering around you, I guarantee you, you're going to have people throughout this week that are praying for you, that are lifting you up. And so you can walk out of this building today, and you can say, there are people who know I'm hurting. There are people who know I'm struggling, and they're taking me before the throne of God, and they care about me. We support one another. We care for one another. We laugh together. We cry together. We ask God what's going on together. But we do it together because we are there to support one another. But we're also there to to be accountable for one another. For us to, to expect the best in each other, not perfection. I'm not going down that road. Please don't ever hear me say that we're trying to make each other perfect, and we're going to knock each other down when we don't measure up, because you won't measure up. But we are to do what Paul says to do in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now let me be real careful to say this. Now if you were at the, the well a couple of weeks ago, I spoke there and I, and I referenced this because it's really important that we all get this. You are not worthy of the gospel. Okay, let's just make sure that we're real clear. You're not worthy of the gospel. So it may sound weird for me to say you're not worthy of the gospel and then Paul then says, well, live your life worthy of the gospel. How, how do you do that? You first have to understand that you're not worthy of the gospel, but that the gospel comes to you by grace alone. By faith. So, the grace of God comes to you out of his overabundance of mercy on your life. And he demonstrates his love for you by, through the Holy Spirit, convicting you of sin and making you aware and realize that you can't save yourself. And the gospel is provided for you. The good news of Jesus, salvation is given to you. So, so salvation is 100% God. 
You and I are not worthy of the gospel, but yet in God's wonderful mercy and abundant love, we receive the gospel. And so Paul says, after that's happened, live your life worthy of the gospel. So, again, it's nothing about working hard so that you can then pay back God for what he gave you. But let's see what he says. He says, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm. So standing firm is a way that you live a life worthy of the gospel. That you simply stand on the truth of God. You stand, on, uh, stand in faith of God and who he is and what he's doing through you. Again, this goes back to all God. I can stand firm because Christ gives me all that I need in order to stand firm. So Paul is saying, take what God has given you and do it. Put it into action. Stand firm. In one spirit. So there's that thing together. So you're to stand firm, but you're also to stand firm together. We are being the ecclesia of God. We are living a life worthy of the gospel if we are standing firm together in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. So we are to hold one another accountable, to live a life worthy of the gospel, to encourage each other to stand firm. If you're struggling with something, you ought to have somebody by you saying, hey, stand firm, man. Not necessarily in those ways because it sounds a little trite. But hey, let me come beside you to help you. Let me be here to encourage you. Let me remind you of the truth of God that will give you strength in order to do this. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes in my life, when I'm really struggling, when I'm really going through those difficult times, I sometimes totally forget. What, I forget what the truth is because the cloud is so thick. This is why, like sailors, let's pick sailors because we can pick a whole bunch of different people, but let's just pick sailors because I like the ocean. Let's the sailors who go out in the ocean. I'm not even talking about battleships. That's most certainly with things like battleships, but just people who go out on ships and they have a crew. Every day they're going through some kind of a drill. They're going through some kind of maneuvers so that if the winds pick up, everybody knows what to do, right? Because if you get a, sh a ship in the wind in a storm and they don't know what to do, everybody's going to be running all over the place and the ship's probably going to, at best, be damaged and at worst, go to the bottom of the ocean. So what do they do? They drill. They go through when the sun is shining all of the things that they need to do when the wind picks up. Because what tends to happen when the wind picks up, if it's not something that you have rehearsed over and over and over to the point that you can do it by nature, that the things that you're supposed to do, you don't have to sing, well, what was I supposed to do? It's just there. You know. You've, you've got it. So that it just kicks in, right? So that the storm might be scary. They might be looking at the clouds and the wind may be whipping around. But all that does is say, what's next? And they go and they do it. See, the thing that we have to do over and over and over is preach the gospel to ourselves, preach the gospel to each other, to remind each other of the truth of the gospel, to remind each other of the love of Jesus, to remind each other of the provision of God in our lives so that when the winds start whipping around, you know they will, the gospel comes to mind, the truth of God comes to mind. I know what I need to do. I hit my knees and I start to pray. I know what I need to do. I need to go find that person that's going through a storm, a difficult time. I need to gather around them. I need to support them. I need to hold them accountable to the truth that they know. 
This is all a part of being the church, man. And that's why, that's why I don't buy this whole idea of the church. It's just a bunch of people who can come together and go out, and it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're committed to the church. It doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, you might go to this church, then that church, and that church. You kind of hop around. You go, as long as I'm under the sound of the gospel. Yes, that's number one. But the provision of God in the church is that you truly develop into a family who's always ready to welcome people in develop into a family who knows each other who goes through the difficult times together who commits to being there to being not only there on Sundays that's a good start because that's where we we get our marching orders from the word of God but so that when we leave this place we know I got a family who loves me I got a family who cares about me, that if I start to step out, if I see the storm and I start to turn and run, they can come beside me and hold me and say, running is not going to help you. Running away from God is not going to help you. We're going to stand firm because he has said through his provision that we stand firm. He has told us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He demonstrated when he was on a boat how he can still the storm with a word. But it also means that he's going to stay with us even when the wind keeps blowing. Guys, this is our foundation. If we don't get this right, we are not going to be the church. Because I'm going to tell you, in case you haven't picked up on it, things in the world are getting more difficult. And they're getting more difficult for believers. And if we're not rock solid on this, if we're not standing on the word of God together, then we're going to fall apart. And that doesn't mean that the church itself will fail. But it might mean that we as a group of people, of called out ones, can fall apart as a church. And that would be a travesty. Especially when we have all that we need. And so together, we work as partners. We work as partners. Not just to hold each other together. That is certainly a huge part of it. But to hold each other together so that we can be about fulfilling the mission that God has for us. That we can be a part of the rescue mission of people who are lost and dying without Christ. And it's one of the things that, that my family and I have seen over this summer. As we have been, been out for seven times. We've been, we've been with, with a, the same basic group of people. And I'll tell you man, the things, the, the lostness and the brokenness and the chasing after everything that satisfies only to find that when the real hard stuff comes, you don't know where to turn. The brokenness is out there. You and I need to be on partnership, in a partnership together that is a rescue mission to people who have yet to call on the name of Jesus. This is why we've kind of taken a different approach, a new approach to ministry. Where we're just saying, hey, guys, get together in groups where you like to do things together and get out of there. Get out of here. Go. Get out of the building. Go find people who like to do the things that you do and do it together and then take the opportunity to share the gospel through gospel conversations. That is a partnership where the church together says, we're going to do this together. This is our strategy for reaching outside the walls of this church to care for people who don't know Jesus we're going to do it together, even though we're going to be in smaller groups doing it. But it's the strategy that we together can do to say we're going to make a difference. We're going to stand together. We're going to pray together. We're going to love together. We're going to cry together. We're going to laugh together. And we're going to go together. Are we going to be the church? 
Are we going to be the ecclesia? And then real quickly, Paul gives us more. Because what is it that makes us capable all of this, with all of this? It's what he says in the second part of verse 1. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now one of the things that he says here is, notice the wording. So he says, um, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting because the word he uses in Jesus is the word Lord. And that's not just a master, he uses the direct article there. The, and the Lord Jesus. And so somebody might go, wait a second, which one is God? And Paul would say, both. You mean they're the same person? No. But you said they're both God, yes. But they're not two gods. No, that's right. I'm confused. And some of you might go, end of the day, me too. I don't understand the Trinity and how the Trinity fully works, but I know that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the same God in essence, but different persons that have different functions of the same Godhead. And so Paul is making a statement in that sentence. It's like, God the Father is God. God the Son is God. And it is through the Father and the Son that the church is established and maintained. And later he will mention the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so we see how the Godhead works for our good as the church. And it is that we are in God. And something else that he says, he, he uses this word, uh, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you were to turn back to 1 Thessalonians, he uses exactly the same construction, but for one word is different. It is the word the. In 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So for some reason, he changes that the to an hour, and he's saying, our Father. Now, some suggest that, that he's doing that to full, more fully identify with the Thessalonians and saying, this is our Father. But the most important thing that he's saying either by design or through the Holy Spirit, is that it is your Father and my Father, that we have a Father who loves us through adoption. He loves us enough in order to adopt us. We have been adopted by Christ. I'm going to read a, a quick passage to you. I don't want this to go too long, because I want you to, I want you to get the, the crux of this, the essence of this. Um, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, there's a lot of theology packed in this. But Paul explains adoption this way. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. So, which is a way of saying that we were dead in our sins. We were held captive by the elements, the sin of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. So Jesus came under the law, under the law of God. And he lived according to the law of God in order to complete and fulfill the law of God for those of us who are born under the law, under the wrath of God against unholiness. So he came, to, um, he came under the law for those who are under the law 
to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit uh, of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you know are, are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. So when we think about adoption, a lot of different things come to mind. You know, you adopt who you want for whatever reason you want as, you know, you work out that within the system. In the Roman world, it was different. In the Roman world, everything that you had went to your heir unless you didn't have one. If you didn't have a son, then you could adopt one. Or if you had a son who didn't seem to be able to handle it, you didn't think he could live up to it, you could adopt someone. And they could be your son. They could be your heir. And it may be, there were, there were times, I'm told, that you could potentially adopt someone who was older than you if you wanted them to take over your estate if something happened to you. And the amazing thing that I, that I discovered in this is this. When the adoption was legally approved, the adoptee would have all of his debts canceled. Whatever his life was before that, all of his debts were canceled, and he was given a new name. His debts were canceled. His bad name was taken away. He was given a new, a new name. He was given the legal name of his father, and he was entitled to all the rights and the benefits of a son. And interestingly, a father could disown his son, but once the adoptive process was complete, it was irreversible. It was for life. This is the image that God chose to use for his ecclesia. Is that I will give you a new name. I will remove all of your past debts. It's not that I just took them away. I took them and, and I nailed them to a cross. And because of that, we are now in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I will be the ecclesia of God when we choose daily, regularly, to abide in Christ, to stay close to him, to stay close to him together. When we do that, then we're going to make it through the storms. I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know what everybody's going through. I know what some of you are going through. I don't know what everybody's going through. But those storms that come, we will make it. You will not go down with the ship. You do not have to be overwhelmed. You do not have to be destroyed. That doesn't have to define you. Please hear that. Whatever your storm, whatever you're going through, it does not have to define you. You have been defined by Jesus Christ and him alone. He gave you your name. He gave you your identity. He is the great overcomer in your life. And so don't give the enemy a victory he does not deserve in your life. Because there's not a victory that he deserves. So, church, let's decide together. And we're going to stand firm. We're going to stand on the word of God. We're going to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand together to support one another, to hold each other accountable, to be on mission and partnership together. Because that's our birthright. Because that's who we are born to be. And if we don't, it's not just a failure 
to live up to the calling that we have, it is a failure to receive the means of grace that he has for us in order to be all that he's called us to be and to experience the depth of joy that surpasses all circumstances. That cannot be blown away by the strongest of storms because we're built together on the rock. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your merciful act in our life. Lord, thank you for ah, the gospel that I can't fully comprehend because I can't understand that depth of love that would redeem horrible sinners like me. But I know you do, and I know you're calling us. You have called us, Lord, into a life of greatness. And that greatness is just being part of the family of God. That greatness is being citizens of heaven, living our lives for the glory of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus. Father, and even now as we wrap up this time of worship by celebrating what you have done, Lord, we're, we're going to celebrate this together at the table. Father, remembering what you did to make us who we are. Remembering the weakness that we, we have, the, the weak individuals that we are, but the strong and mighty Savior that Jesus is. And what he did to perfect us positionally before God the Father, allowing us to boldly come before the throne of grace, that which we could not have possibly done, couldn't have thought to be able to do while still in our sin. May you be glorified in this time of celebration through coming to the table. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do as we close out this time. I want you to think about all of these things because I really want this to be a celebration. It is a time of surrender. It is a time of recommitting ourselves and, and thinking in our minds and hearts what Jesus has done to make us who we are and to give us the, the, the people, to give himself the people of God that we have become, remembering how he established a new covenant through himself where God did the work. God fulfilled all the means for our grace. And we partake in that as we believe and we have faith together. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about that for a little bit. I want you to worship God for just a moment of silence. Kevin, I'm going to ask you to come on up and just play some music for right now, okay? But I want you to think about that. I want you to dwell on that fact and all the things that we've talked about that God has done to make us who we are. But I also want to talk to those of you who maybe have not come to that place where you've trusted in Jesus, where all of this stuff that I've talked about sounds good, but it's not applied to your life because you've never come to him by faith. You've been trying to work your way into heaven. You've been trying to be a good person. You've tried to do all this, whatever else that we try to do. Or you've been chasing after all the stuff that leads to more and more brokenness. The only place you need to be broken is before Jesus over your sin so that you can trust him and receive eternal life. So if that's you, then instead of coming immediately to the table, I want you to stay where you are and then come see me after we're done. All right? I, want you to, I just want you to deal with that because I'm going to be serving the table over here, but I want to talk to you after we're done because I want you to receive this life that I'm talking about. Jesus has paid the price. He's paid it all. It has been accomplished. So if you have 
come under the lordship of Jesus and you have obediently followed him in baptism, which, which is just simply that outward expression that says, hey world, I followed Jesus and I'm, I'm going to be obedient in this very first step. Because I'm telling you, if you can't be obedient and the very first thing that he said was to be baptized, then you're gonna, it's going to be hard for you to be obedient in anything because that's the easy part. But, but if that's you and you're not walking in willful sin, then I'm going to invite you to come to the table. If you're just kind of in rebellion to God, you say, I'm a believer, but I've got this thing, and I'm really, I'm not ready to give it up. I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to stay where you are and do business with that. Say, Lord, why, why, am I, why am I having a tough time giving this up? Why is this thing, why does it have me when the word says that the Son has set me free and I'll be free indeed? Why am I still held in bondage to this? Take that before the Lord. Put that on the altar. Whatever God is speaking to you about today, deal with it. Deal with it. Don't push it aside. Don't suppress it. Deal with it honestly. Come before him, either in celebration at the table, in humility and joy, or asking the Lord to save you today, or asking the Lord to deliver you from that thing that is holding you captive and stealing you, stealing from you your joy. Okay? Father, may you be glorified and blessed and honored in this time of coming to the table. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Amen. When you're ready, come receive the elements and take it back to your chair and uh, have some time with the Lord. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to him. Jesus said if I am weak, I should come to him. No one else can be my strength. I should come For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Lord bless you. Jesus, strong and kind. Blessings. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him, for the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus, 
Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. He showed me that on the cross, he will come to me. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. Jesus strong and kind. Jesus strong and kind. Hey, Lord bless you, my friend. Hey, Heather, Lord bless you. Hey, Lord bless you, Jackie. Hey, Lord bless you. For the good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. Jesus strong and kind. seems fitting after we spend this time commune with one another, with Christ our Lord through the table. We have remembered his sacrifice in full once more to close out this morning with a song of praise, a song of worship, recognizing exactly how great he is.